you've made your way to Colossians chapter 1. I want to tell you this morning that what we're going to read is perhaps the most succinct description of Jesus Christ in all the Bible. In fact, I would suppose to you this morning that what we're going to see in these six verses is quite possibly one of the most important passages in all the Bible. Now, I know that's a weighty statement, but I believe it's true. And I believe as we go through the message today, you're going to see why it is true. For you see this morning, we're going to seek to grasp and understand the fact that Jesus Christ is the most important person in the entire universe. We're literally going to see today that because of Jesus Christ, everything you and I see and even the things that we can't see or even grasp or understand, it's all held together by Him. You've made your way there, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The title of this morning's message is, Jesus Above All. And what we're going to read in these, these six verses is the word all seven times. Jesus is above all. Follow along with me, picking up in verse 15, Colossians 1. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of, help me class, all creation. For by Him, here comes these alls, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. There it is. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Verse 17. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. What does it mean to be preeminent? Guess what? Above all. Verse 19, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself, how many things, class? All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. I agree with pastor and Bible commentator John MacArthur when he says Jesus Christ is the most important personality in all the universe, for He is the God of heaven revealed as the Son in the person of Jesus Christ on this earth. Church family, I'll say it again, and I believe what we just read are some of the most important words ever written or ever will be written in human history. Why? Because this passage of Scripture just identified the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords over the entire universe. Listen to me. Jesus is not just some religious historical figure of the past. No. He at this moment sits enthroned over the entire universe. And He is in absolute total control of everything. Do you believe that? He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We'll see that poignantly today. Now, as we begin this morning, perhaps you're new, perhaps you're watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere, and this is all kind of new to you. Let me just do a bit of background real quick just to catch us up to speed. This is the book of Colossians. So it's written to a church in a town called Colossae. I want to show this to you by way of a map again so you'll get the understanding. Bottom right of the map is Israel, the area you'll see of Israel. You'll see Jerusalem down there. Work your way up and along the Mediterranean Sea to the north. That, all of those little pushpins there in red and yellow, that's the area of Asia Minor, and that is modern-day Turkey. 
A lot of news about Turkey right now. What you'll see if you take, go up to the letter F at the top of the map, work your eye down, you'll see the area of Colossae. It's right beside of those seven red pushpins. Those are the seven churches of the book of the Revelation. Now in Colossae, false doctrine is being taught. This is some 30, 35 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has gone to heaven, spent about 30 to 35 years. Can things change in 30 to 35 years? Oh yes. There's a man who was named Epaphras, who was a man from Colossae, who was led to faith by the Apostle Paul when Paul spent time in Ephesus. Ephesus was, about, was one of those red pushpins that's about 100 miles to the west over near the Aegean Sea. Ephesus was considered the mother church of all those churches in Asia Minor. Pretty much as Ephesus went, all those churches went, okay? While Paul was in, in Ephesus, Epaphras went there. Paul spent three years in Ephesus. Paul led Epaphras to Christ in Ephesus. Epaphras goes back that hundred miles to Colossae, and he's so fired up that he starts a church. There was no church in the town of Colossae. Paul did not establish the church in Colossae. It was Epaphras who did. But as time went along, Epaphras had a problem. There was false doctrine and false teaching being taught, heresy. He kept trying to tell the church, listen, you are drinking the Kool-Aid, using my analogy for today's age, and you're not listening. You're starting to believe false doctrine. They wouldn't listen to him. Paul, excuse me, Epaphras makes a journey to go see Paul, but Paul's no longer in Ephesus. He's been arrested. He is in Italy now. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. What does that mean? Paul was allowed to stay in a house, he, and he had to pay for it out of his own money. He was a tent maker, a leather worker by trade, and he was able to live there, but he was chained to a soldier, a Roman soldier, and they switched off every six hours. He got four a day. Imagine that, being chained by a six-foot chain to a soldier for 24 hours a day, when you had to go to the bathroom, when you had to kind of, you know, wash off. Imagine that. Epaphras shows up at the house. He was allowed to receive visitors. The Romans had approved that. Paul was a Roman citizen, and that's why he was allowed that, that liberty and that privilege. Epaphras goes and sees Paul, and he goes, Paul, i got a problem. He says, they're not listening to me, and false doctrine is creeping in, false teaching. i got to have some help. He said, would you write a letter, and would you send it back? And Paul did by a man named Tychicus. You can find it at the end of the book of Colossians, chapter 4. Tychicus took the letter back. Epaphras went back to Colossae. Paul said, don't stay here. Go on back. They, they can't be without you. I'll send it by Tychicus. And that's what ultimately happened. The letter shows back up to Colossae. Do you think the people would listen to the apostle Paul? Yeah, because he was a giant in the faith, kind of like a Billy Graham of our day. You understand? What was happening? These people were not listening to truth. Now, if you read the book of Colossians, look in my Bible, watch this. One, two, and a half pages. You can read the book of Colossians, four chapters in about 15 minutes. Would you consider doing that this week sometime? Because in just 15 minutes, you can get the flavor for what the problem was. There's just a bunch of garbage being taught there. I mean, the culture is just twisted. And the culture had started permeating the thinking of the people in Colossae. And so what Paul is seeking to do is set straight 
that which is true versus that which is false. And that's the title of our series. You know, we've shown you this. Now, it's easy to pick out what's true there. What color is it? Red. But if we were to take the color away and that was white, it'd be a little harder to pick out true from false. True? True. The Apostle Paul was trying to make crystal clear what the truth about who Jesus Christ was, to make it like red and stick out. He wanted them to know the truth. He wanted to debunk the heresy that was being espoused there. You go, okay, enough already. What was the stuff being taught? I'm going to tell you. Gnosticism. You have no clue what that is. Well, let me begin to explain. A Gnostic believed that God didn't actually set out to create the world, but instead the Gnostics taught that God's divine essence just emanated, just flowed out of Him and filled the universe, and that only certain people could understand that. It sounds like evolution to me. You know, it's like, boom, God just exploded somehow. These Gnostics believed that you had to rise to a certain level of secret, super intellectual knowledge and understanding to understand who God is. It was only for the intellectual elite. Does that sound a little familiar in our culture today? Are there the thought police of our day, the intellectual elite that are in our universities and so forth? that run the government and Hollywood and the media and everything else, the intellectual elites. It's a form of Gnosticism. Only certain people can rise to that level. Now, I want you to see the word Gnosticism. Notice the letter in front of it. It's silent. Don't pronounce the G. You'll look stupid. Gnosticism. Mm -mm. It's like pneumonia. Don't pronounce the P. Pneumonia. You know, it's, it's pneumonia. P silent, G silent, and Gnosticism. The Gnostics taught that all matter was evil. And that included the human body. And thus, Jesus didn't really, they say, the Gnostics, have a human body since that would have put him in contact with evil matter. So for the Gnostics, and this is the heresy of it, Jesus was never born of a virgin and therefore he is not God. And you might hear that and say, this is all kind of out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, might I ask you, what is your personal pronoun? If you're on a college campus today and you meet somebody, the first thing you have to ask them is, what may I call you? What is your personal pronoun? So why do you bring that up? <laughs> Because if you would have told me 30 years ago we would have to be asking one another what our blame personal pronoun is, I would have called you crazy. And so for us to look down our noses at the people in Colossae believing this stuff, hey folks, we're all drinking some sort of Kool-Aid. I'm telling you, the, does a fish know he's wet? When you're in a culture that constantly beats the drum to this kind of stuff and you don't follow along with it and you don't believe it, then all of a sudden you're out of step. This is Colossae and this is America and this is the world that we live in, this secret super intellectualism, Gnosticism. I want to show something to you. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Now for me, I've just got to turn one page. 
because we're in Colossians 1, turn one page. I could take you to a dozen places, and if you'll take the 15 minutes to read the four chapters of Colossians, you'll find it to be true. But I'm just going to take you to one place that Paul spells out the heresy. Watch this. Colossians 2, look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive, no one puts you in chains, nobody puts you in bondage by this philosophy, this teaching, because it's empty, it's false, it's deceit, and it's according to human tradition, and it's according to elemental spirits. You know what the elemental spirits are? Demons. In my Bible, there's a little number two beside of the word spirits. You go down to the bottom of the page and it says demons. Oh, church, never forget, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the unseen world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is demonic stuff. What is it? They teach this stuff and it's of the world. End of verse 8. And it's not according to Christ. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There it is. They said that Jesus wasn't born of a body, that he didn't have a body. He did. And they said that Jesus was not God. There, the, the Bible describes that he is God, that the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus in body. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head, there it is again, of all rule and authority. So it's spelled out for us. And this brings us back to verse 15. So go back, flip over to verse 15, and we can look at our text. Now that we understand why this book has been written, we can understand verse 15. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. See, the heretics were saying that Jesus is not God. But we see here that he most certainly is. Jesus was God, and at the same time, he was man. You know what that's called? It's called the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. I want you to see this chart. The hypostatic union. What does this mean? Watch it now. Jesus is fully God, and at the same time, he's fully man in one divine person. He's not two separate entities. He's one. Jesus embodies both natures, one divine and one human. Church, never forget that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now in heaven, and he has a belly button. Jesus was one of us, God. You say, that's hard for me to understand. I get it. It's also kind of hard to understand the Trinity, isn't it? Because, see, this is what's being described. This is what got Jesus in trouble when he was here on the earth. He claimed to be God. And the Pharisees said, that's blasphemy. But you understand the Trinity, or at least we t make the attempt. See, the top left, the Father, go to the top to the right, is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But now look to the middle. But God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. You got that? If you do, come up here and explain it. There's some things in our finite minds that are difficult to understand. We were just singing that song. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. I try to explain it to my children this way, and it's, the, there's no analogy that works to explain the Trinity, I promise you. But this is what I've used to try to help Andrew and Clara. What is H2O? Water. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. It exists in three forms. 
Okay, if you want to cool down your drink, what do you put in it? Ice. That's solid, still water. If you turn, off, turn on your faucet and water comes out of it, you can drink, with in, drink it in what form? Liquid. And then if you boil water, what comes off of the pot rising into the air? Steam. All still water, right? Solid, liquid, steam. H2O, water. Three forms of the same thing. You tracking with me? That's the best I got, okay? If you got a better one, email it to me, okay? Now think about what we just read. God is invisible. Think of that. You saw that in verse 15. But when Jesus came to this earth, he made God visible in the flesh for 33 years. Think of that. God became visible for 33 years in the person of Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 19. For in Jesus, for in Him, see it? For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now church, let's remember who we are. We are spirit beings housed in these jars of clay, our bodies. But when we die, what happens? Look, if I were to kill over with a brain aneurysm in 10 seconds, what would happen to me? You say, well, you'd kill over. You'd fall on the floor, right? Somebody come up here, we'd get, get uh, you know, our medical team come up here, and they check, he's dead. Oh, my goodness. Pastor Kevin's dead. But am I? I mean, in my body. But, 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 but who am I? Spirit. I'm a spirit, and so are you. We're made in the image of God, and he is a spirit. So where does my spirit go? Well, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus, so I'm going to heaven. Yes, I am. If you're lost and you don't know Jesus, you've never invited him into your heart by faith. There's a place called Hades. Now, I've got to make sure I say that and I enunciate the word Hades. I was in revival down in Winston this past week at Old Town Baptist Church, and I made the comment about Hades, that people that don't know Jesus, that when they die today, they go to Hades, and ultimately Revelation 20 says that Hades will be dumped into the lake of fire, and that's what we know as Gehenna or hell. But a little eight-year-old boy said to me the next night, he goes, why are you saying that all bad people go to Haiti? <laughs> what? I said, Haiti? And, I, and I, he was thinking of like the island of Haiti. And I'm like, no, no, son, I'm sorry. No, son, not Haiti, Hades, H-A-D-E-S. It's for, I mean, I'm telling you, you can just mess people up. He thought all bad people went to Haiti. <laughs> so I want to make that clear. I have nothing against Haiti, okay? Hades. The point is we're spirit beings. And when we die, we go to one of two places. So I'll ask you, do you know Jesus? Look, if I were to tear out an eyelash, which I'm not going to do, because I thought about doing that, but after three services, that would hurt, okay? But let's just imagine I tear out an eyelash, okay? So just imagine there's an eyelash on the end of my finger. And we let that eyelash represent your life and my life and every life in the world and let that eyelash represent our lives as it relates to, let's say, the entire universe. Because I'm trying to understand what forever means. So if our lives are represented by an eyelash, and the rest of the universe is eternity, that still barely touches it. Because eternity is for how long? Ever. 
forever and ever and ever. When, you know, the amazing grace when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And yet we put so much attention on the eyelash. Make you cross-eyed. People so often measure life by how long somebody lives. Oh, how old was he? He was 94. Oh, he lived a good long life. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on if he knows Jesus. See, if I were to take that eyelash and let's say split it up into 10 parts, let that represent 10 years, a decade. Listen, what does the death of a 10-year-old look like to the death of a 100-year-old compared to eternity? See, when you split an eyelash 10 ways, it still ain't much, even if you got the whole thing. See, a lot of people just put stock in life. You know, if I live 70, 80, 90, 100 years, I'm telling you, so your life and my life is absolutely nothing compared to eternity. And so you better know where you're going. Are you saved? Have you received Jesus by faith into your life? We are image bearers of God. You want to know where the Trinity first appeared? Genesis 1.26. God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. That's the Trinity. And then Genesis 1.27, we'll show you this one. God said, so God created man in his own image. God is what? God is spirit. In the image of God, he created us, male and female. God doesn't need to ask us our personal pronouns. He knows how he made us. He created them, male and female. God knows us. We're spirit beings, just like him. But here's the problem. When we were born, we were born separated from God. And that's not your fault. You were born a sinner. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whose fault's that? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden. Real people. A real Adam, a real Eve. Jesus talked about them. They had a choice. That's why we're not robots. They had a choice. They had all these thousands, who knows how many thousands of trees in the Garden of Eden they could have eaten from. And there's this one stupid tree <laughs> And I say it in that vernacular because it's that stupid tree that messed it up for all of us. But God, in His divine wisdom, knew that He wanted us to have a choice. We're not robots. We're not made to love Him. We're not made to obey Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So love is akin to obedience, right? Obedience is not a bad thing, not if you love somebody. I love my wife. And so my, 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 my joy is to is to live in a way that, that brings happiness to her, to live in a way that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm living in right relationship with her. So, so love is, 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 is obedient to my marriage vows, to my wife. Adam and Eve sinned. Because of that, we're born sinners. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, the rescue plan was put in place. In fact, it was already known before, the beginning, before time began. The rescue plan was this. Jesus would leave heaven and he would come to this earth and he would become one of us. He's got a belly button right now in heaven, right? He would become one of us to fix what Adam and Eve blew in the garden. To fix it. How? 
Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Why blood? That's God's design. God killed an animal to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. They recognized they were naked after they ate of the forbidden fruit. What was the tree? The tree of knowledge. They chose power. And Satan deceived and said, look, God's holding out on you. That's what Satan always does. God, Satan wants us to go against God's command. He wants us to go against. He wants us to rush into stuff. He wants us to hurry it along, young couple. He doesn't want us to wait on God's plan and His design. So, we needed a Savior. Jesus came. So when I get saved, when you get saved, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, then the image of God in me is now restored. My image is tarnished and blotted inside of my jar of clay until the Spirit of God comes inside of me and sets right my image. The image of me that God created me to be becomes able to be reconciled to Him and commune with Him by way of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Tracking? Christ Jesus is God, and He always has been. I want to show this to you again. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. You go, Hebrews? Good night. We were in Hebrews for like a year and a half. Yeah, but it's been that long since we've been to chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Go to verse 1. I want to show you this. I want, I want us to understand who Jesus is. Okay? He's more than just a historical figure that you learn about in Sunday school. He is the King of kings. He made everything. Jesus is everything. He is above all. Watch this. Hebrews 1 verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. This is speaking of uh, uh, the, the Old Testament by way of the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Let's stop there for a moment at the comma. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Did you know we've been living in the last days ever since Jesus has been born? We, we are. The last days started at the birth of Jesus. So we've been living in the last days for, what is today? October 20th, how long? 2019. That's a lot of long last days, isn't it? But how many, listen, to God, what is a thousand years? A day. So in God's economy, who created time, Jesus has been gone 2.19 days. It's not that big a deal. Keep reading. But in these last days, verse 2, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of how many things? That word all is just everywhere in Scripture. All things through whom He created the world. He created the, God created the world through Jesus. Jesus, verse 3, is the radiance of the glory of God, and He is the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe with His hands, with His, with his strong thigh muscles and biceps. No. Jesus upholds the world by what? Just His Word. Just His Word. God said, let there be light, and there was light with His Word. After making purification for sins, thanks be to Jesus, Jesus sat down. That means the job is finished. You sit down when you're done. At the right hand of the majesty, that's God on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is above everything, including the angels. Those words exact imprint in verse 3, that's why I wanted us to go there. Trying to understand who Jesus is. He is the exact imprint of God. Now, in classical Greek, 
That phrase, exact imprint, is, is used to describe a stamp or an engraving tool. It makes an exact imprint or an exact reproduction of something. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. Nothing is missing. Nothing has been altered. Nothing has been changed. I want to show this to you. Go back to the left in your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And as you're going to Philippians 2, do two things at once. Turn to Philippians. I want you to tell me, what are those pictured on the screens? Quarters. Those quarters are exact imprints of an original quarter that's found in our four U.S. mints. We have a U.S. mint in Philadelphia, in Denver, in San Francisco, and one at West Point. And here's the point. Those quarters are worth the same amount as the original quarter they were minted from housed at the mint. Why? Because they are exact imprints of the original. You got that in your head? Now look at Philippians 2. Pick up Philippians 2. Pick up in verse 5. Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, think of the Trinity now, Jesus did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. A better way to phrase that is, is to be held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Stop there for a moment. Look at me. When Jesus left heaven and came to earth to Bethlehem, born to a virgin named Mary and her espoused husband Joseph, when Jesus left heaven, he didn't empty himself of his deity. He took off his glory. And the only time that we saw his glory on this earth, we didn't see it, but three men did. Peter, James, and John on a mountain. What's the mount called? The Mount of Transfiguration. They saw him in his glory. Peter was so freaked out, he goes, man, let's build some tents and hang out here forever. They don't get no better than this. Jesus emptied himself, not of his deity, but of his glory. And he said, Father, I'm not going to hang on to this. I know this is going to, be, this is going to cost me everything. It's going to cost me my human life. But I'm going to go down there and I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to have a belly button. And I'm going to live on this earth for 33 years. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to die so that we can have humanity restored back to us. It's the only way. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Adam and Eve, they were covered not by fig leaves that rotted off of them, but they were covered by the skin of an animal that God killed, the shedding of blood to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. That's why we wear clothes, people. You ask an atheist why we wear clothes. They have no clue. Because if you've been to the zoo lately, I ain't seen any orangutans down there at Ashboro Zoo wearing clothes, right? Right? Seven-day week, right? Seven-day week. Why do we have a seven-day week? Because of the seven-day week for six days of creation and rested on the seventh day. Atheist, every time an atheist writes the date, he's acknowledging that Jesus Christ is alive. How about that? See, here's the thing. I want you to watch this now. Jesus, verse 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, that's a slave, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus has a belly button right now. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what we were singing about this morning. Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen to me. Please look at me for a moment. One day Hitler is going to bow before Jesus and say, you are King of kings and Lord of lords before he slides into hell. Right now he's in Hades. Not Haiti. Hades, Osama bin Laden will say, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Muhammad will bow before Jesus and say, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Joseph Smith will bow before Jesus and say, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is above all. Do you believe that? Jesus is God. Jesus said in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. We keep time by Jesus. It's been 2,019 years since he was born. You want to know for sure there is a God? He walked on this earth for 33 years in the body of Jesus Christ, who is God and man. So if you want to know what God is like, well, he's the spitting image of Jesus and vice versa. Anybody ever said that about you? People say it about me all the time. I'll show you a picture. It's me and my dad. How about that? Dad's on the left, I'm on the right. He's 6'7", I'm 6'6". People have told me all my life, you are the spitting image of your dad. That's gross, spitting image. What is that? I looked it up. I'm like, why do we say that? That's gross. Is it the splitting image? No, spitting. That goes all the way back to the 1600s. And what it means is, is that you're so like somebody, it's like they just spit you out of their mouth. It's, a, it's just like my dad is like, and there's Kevin. Just the spitting image of his daddy. Jesus is the spitting image of God. You know, church, think with me. You know, if God were a man, we would expect him to be sinless, wouldn't we? Jesus was. You know, if God were a man, we would expect him to speak the greatest words ever spoken. Jesus did. You know, if God were a man, we would expect him to do miracles with ease. Jesus did that too. You know, if God were a man, we would expect him to love like no one else. And Jesus did. Died on the cross for you. And for me, so that you and I might know eternal life with him. But I must tell you, there are those who struggle with the end of verse 15. Go back to the end of verse 15. Do you struggle with this? You see that? He is the image of the invisible God. It's that last phrase. The firstborn of all creation. Because people go, wait a minute, I, I didn't think he was created. God created Jesus? No. No, that's not what that means. And it's very clear when you look it up in the Greek, the original language, that phrase, firstborn of all creation, at the end of verse 15 is a reference to position, not time. It's a reference to position, not time. Jesus is not the first created being in terms of time because Jesus was never created. That's why he said before Abraham was, I am. 
The book of the Revelation describes Jesus how? As the one who was and who is and who is to come. The word firstborn refers to rank, not chronology. After all, the firstborn is the one who has the right of inheritance. In the Jewish context, everybody knew that. Christ was the honored one, the privileged one, the prestigious one, the Father's heir. That's what verse 15 is speaking of. Jesus has always existed with His Father. And think of this now. Okay, get ready because this is, oh, is going to be one of these. Okay, ready? Here it is. Jesus is the only person who ever existed before He was born. Jesus is the only person who ever existed before he was born. You got that? This is mind-blowing stuff today. Jesus has always existed. He's always been with the Father, and so has the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about Christmas. Are you thinking about it? Christmas times are coming. Christmas times are coming. Hey, shopping days are getting narrowed down. Come on. I know it hadn't felt like fall, but I'm telling you. It's coming. Think of Joseph. Think with me. Think of Mary and Jesus. Think of Christmas. Think of Bethlehem. Isn't it incredible to think that the creator of the universe became a baby? You ever think Mary, when she was feeding Jesus a bowl of soup, thought to herself, I'm feeding God. That's Colossians 1.16. See it? For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now let's think about that, Jesus as being creator. I want to park here for a few moments. Let's think about our solar system for a few moments. Okay, you ready to get ready to have your mind blown again? Think about the earth. The earth rotates on an axis. What degree axis is it? You go, what are we in school? Come on. 23 and a half degrees. It's an invisible axis. And the earth is spinning at the exact same constant speed. And if that speed slowed down or sped up just a fraction or stopped, we could either freeze to death or burn up. Because if it stopped and we're on the back side of this deal and the sun's over there, we're going to turn into that block of H2O. But if it stops on the front side of this deal and doesn't move, and we are right on the sun's side, we're going to burn up. And that all just happened by chance now. 23 and a half degree axis. You know, it's like a kid. How old are you? I'm nine and a half. I am halfway to 10. 23 and a half degree axis. It's that 23 and a half degree axis that gives us our four seasons. Now, I didn't know if we were ever going to get the fall, but it happened September 21st. It's because of the spinning of the earth. How about that? Now, get this. If we weren't spinning on that 23 and a half degree invisible axis, creating the motion that we need that the ice from the North Pole would go down and the ice from the South Pole would pile up as it came up and it would pile up on the continents. I didn't know that until I studied that this week. Of course, you know the relation between the moon and the earth. 
Even though the moon is 238,900 miles away, it controls what? The ocean tides. Move the moon a few hundred miles closer to us, you don't want to be at Myrtle Beach because the water's going to flood. And you move the moon four or 5,000 miles, you better go to Conway, South Carolina, before the water becomes the new tide at Conway. You with me? Oh, and that all happened by chance too. Who told the oceans, as the songwriter says, they could only come so far? Jesus did. What about the sun? Sometimes we forget about how massive the sun is. Did you know the sun is almost a million miles across? That's nuts. 864,400 miles across to be exact. That's 109 times the diameter of the earth. Look at the comparison of the sun versus the earth. You can barely even see the earth. The sun, 94 million miles away. 94 million miles. That's why the moon looks like it's almost on top of us, only 238,000 miles away. The sun is so large that 1.3 million planet Earths could fit inside the sun. What about the stars? Did you know that the closest star to the Earth is just, oh, 25 trillion miles away, 4.3 light years away? That's Alpha Centauri. We can't even see it with the naked eye, but we can see something with the naked eye. Have you ever looked outside and seen the Big Dipper? You ever found the North Star by the Big Dipper? You can. The North Star is called Polaris. See it? Do this sometime. It's so cool. When I'm in Africa or I'm traveling around the world, it's hard to see in the Philippines. It's so smoggy over there, you can't see, you can't see the sky. It's so smoggy in China, you can't see the sky. But let me tell you something. In the jungles of Africa, in Alabacolito, the sky, I'm telling you, the Milky Way, you can see the white of the Milky Way. It is absolutely gorgeous. I was in a town called Halame. It was a mountain town, about 3,000 feet above sea level. Can you believe that it actually gets cold in, in, in Africa? Yes. It was like in the 40s. You could blow your breath. I have never seen the Big Dipper like that. Now I'm looking outside. Oh my, there's the Big Dipper. And I bet Pam and the kids are seeing that back home too. How cool is that? The Big Dipper. Can we put it back up just for a second? See, if you go off the end of the Dipper and you make your way from those two stars at the end of the Dipper, you can find the North Star, which is at the end of the handle of the Little Dipper. How cool is that? But you ready for this? You ready for this? You know how far the North Star is from us? 323 trillion miles away. I said trillion. That's 13 times further than Alpha Centauri. Pretty amazing. I got another star for you. You ever heard of the star called Betelgeuse? Oh man, I love Betelgeuse. You say that ain't Betelgeuse. It is, that's how you pronounce it. I looked it up. How do you pronounce Betelgeuse? Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse. You know, you can look that up and it says it like 14 times. Betelgeuse. There it is. Look how big it is compared to the sun. You're kidding. That looks like the earth versus the sun. I told you the sun is almost a million miles across. Look at Betelgeuse. You know how far Betelgeuse is from earth? 880 quadrillion miles. You say, what's a quadrillion? That's what comes after trillion. Billion, trillion, quadrillion. 864 of those from here is Betelgeuse. 
Okay, help me. I, I... And Jesus made all that and came here and became one of us and has a belly button so that you and I might come to God. Now, all that's fascinating, but I got one more. You want to hear it? Nuclear scientists tell us that all substance in the universe is constructed from three fundamental particles. It's inside of what's called an atom. What are those particles? You studied this in school. Protons, neutrons, and electrons. Now, this particular uh, image that we've chosen here doesn't have the the pluses and minuses on it, but let me describe this for you. The protons are pluses. They're in red. The neutrons carry what kind of charge? The neutron, new, none. The electrons then carry what kind of charge? The yellow ones. Negative. Here's what the nuclear scientists can't figure out. How in the world are those protons staying bunched together beside of those neutrons? Because positive is attracted to negative and negative to positive. You ever played with magnets? You ever played with magnets? You put two magnets on the positive side, put them on a table, and you try to get them to touch. They'll never touch. But flip it over. Flip one over. Get one negative, one positive. And the nuclear scientists go, we don't understand it. We don't understand it. How are those protons not blowing out of the nucleus, smashing into the electrons? Or vice versa, why aren't the electrons smashing like pinballs into the protons in the nucleus? They can't explain it. So they just try to describe it. They call it the strong force or atomic glue or nuclear glue. And now there's a few scientists, just several years ago, now they're calling it this, the God particle. <laughs> the God particle. Because they can't explain it. How about that? One physicist said, and I quote, some inflexible inhibition is relentlessly holding the protons together. Some inflexible inhibition. Church family, I'd like to introduce to you the inflexible inhibition. I call it the Colossians 117 particle, and it's not a what, it's a who. It is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.17 says, See it, and Jesus is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, including protons in the middle of an atom. The very basic particles of life. I told you this message is... <clears throat> so try to wrap your minds around this church. You see this little baby? When Jesus was lying in the arms of Mary as a little baby, he was still holding the entire universe together. Because <laughs> it's not hard for Jesus. He's like, I got the whole universe. It's not a problem. 
This is a piece of cake. Kind of makes that song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole got the whole universe. Jesus is seated on the throne at this very moment, looking down from heaven, and he sees our lives as an eyelash compared to eternity. He holds it all together. Why? Because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Listen, church, and we're done. Jesus is the head of all things. That's verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What is that? It means he resurrected from the dead. And so if we follow him, we will rise from the dead just like him. We will live forever with him and everything. He is, made, he is preeminent. He's above all. Verse 19, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God, he's the exact imprint, the spitting image of God, was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And how did he do that? By his blood on the cross by the cross by shedding his blood so that we might know life think of it Jesus would become obedient to death even on a cross on a tree that he created Jesus would hang on a cross by way of ore that was taken from the ground that the Roman soldiers got smelted and turned into spikes and Jesus hung on a tree that he created, and he was held there by ore made into spikes that he made for you and for me. You know, it's no wonder that the winds and the waves obeyed Jesus when he was here, when he said on the Sea of Galilee, peace, be still. Millions of gallons of water went. It's no wonder that disease had no control and no power. Jesus would see a man with leprosy and heal him with a word. Jesus would see a man that was blind and he would rub spit in dirt, put it on his eyes and say, go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll see. It's no wonder that Jesus made the lame walk and the deaf hear. It's no wonder that he could say to Lazarus, who was dead in a tomb for four days, Lazarus, come forth! And by the word of Jesus, Lazarus came walking out of the tomb. It's no wonder he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Why? Because he is. He's the God-man, and he loves you. And he came that you might know God through him.